We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right, well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. As we come now to the section of Scripture known as the Pastoral Epistles, consisting of First and Second Timothy, along with the book of Titus. Uh, as we come to this place now, these are letters where Paul the Apostle writes to young pastors, probably in their 30s, regarding their conduct and their commission. And really, when you come to this section of the Bible, it's the conduct of the church as a whole. As a matter of fact, real quick, if you would go over to 1 Timothy 3, and look what it says in verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Of course, we know the church of God is not a building. Uh, for them, some of you who, maybe you came for the first time, you're like, where is this church? I don't really, this doesn't look like a church, you know, and... And I know uh, it can look a little different, but in the end, we know the church is the people. We are the church. How are we to conduct ourselves uh, individually as leaders, as pastors, and as a church? Well, it's so cool. We have the Bible. We have First Timothy and Second Timothy, Titus, to give us direction in that. Now, Paul the Apostle, um, if you remember in the book of Acts, he had been uh, arrested and taken to Rome, and he was under house arrest for two years. And then the book of Acts ends. What we believe happened was Paul the Apostle stood before Caesar Nero, the emperor of Rome, and then he was released. And then what ended up happening is he still continued on through ministry. Right around the year A.D. 64, 65, he traveled and then he went over probably to visit Philemon and Colossae. And then, remember the church in Ephesus? This amazing church there that had started. We read about it in the book of Acts chapter 19. He took this young guy, Timothy, and he said, Here, I want you to take care of this church. I want you to pastor this church. I want you to watch over this church because it was a special church to him. And so in writing the letters, man, what he's doing in one sense is he's passing the baton. Paul is now older, and Timothy is younger. Paul's about to die, and he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been serving the Lord all these years. So what happens when we die? He says, man, I want to pass the church on to you, Timothy. I want you to learn what we need to learn. And then it's kind of cool, because then when you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he says, and you pass it to other men, and then they pass it to other men, faithful men. And that's how the church continues. And so Paul writes this letter, and I'm super excited about it. It's kind of funny, you guys. I've been a pastor for a while now, and I've been involved in ministry for many years, but I never taught First Timothy. And so I'm going to be learning with you, and my prayer is that God will bless this church as we all grow together and glean these things. And so we begin, first of all, with the greeting in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here the writer of the letter identifies himself as Paul the apostle. We see the recipient of the letter, his true son in the faith, a man named Timothy. His name means uh, honoring to God. And then we see that beautiful trilogy there in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was an apostle. Uh, what that literally means is someone who's sent. It's a delegate. It's a messenger. Jesus sent Paul. That's who he was. If you remember, you guys, in the book of Acts chapter 9, 
Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, and then immediately he was sent to tell the whole world about what God has done for him, about Jesus Christ. When you read about Paul, you realize that he was an apostle not through man, not by man, but Jesus himself personally had commissioned him. And in the letter, you're going to see he definitely exercises that apostolic authority. You know, I love the way he says there in verse 1 that it was by the commandment of God our Savior. Paul, an apostle, look again, of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior. You know, who put Paul there? You know, who put these guys in the positions that they have? You know, God forbid that it would be a man. It's cool when God is the one who puts him there. You know, there's a really neat verse over in Psalm 75, 6 through 7. It says, Exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. You see, in the kingdom of God, when it's really the kingdom of God, it's God who puts people where they need to be. And here we see God the Father uh, organizing a certain structure for a great purpose. Notice again that purpose. If I could just draw your attention again to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. You guys, that's what this is all about. That's why we have ushers and people in the children's ministry. People working the soundboard or scrubbing the toilets. That's why we have pastors and assistant pastors and elders, and deacons, and board members, and, and people who don't have a title, but they're just as much a part of the church. This is why God has this organization, this structure, is because God wants people to be saved. That's what he wants. And we got to remember, you know, that, that vision, God our Savior. You know, and I don't know about you, but I remember when I was addicted to drugs. I remember when I was lost and dead in my sins. I had just nothing. I, I figured I won't even try in life because I'm not going to make it anyways. But then God came in. God saved me. God saved me from the power of sin. God saved me from the penalty of sin. He broke the chains. He set me free. Do you guys remember that day? For those of you that are Christians, God wants to continue to do that work. And it doesn't matter where you are in the body of Christ. Just know that God the Father puts you there. And just know that as we function faithfully, that he will do that work. And all those people out there in the highways and byways and valleys and alleys, all those people out there who are just dying inside, some of them just want to end their life, they need to know that there is a God who loves them. A God who died for them on the cross. A God who then was put in a grave. He conquered death. And now all they have to do, the simple gospel we're going to see as we go through our study today, is turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And that's what he's saying right here, right off the bat. You know, in the kingdom of God, it's God who puts people in places only because he wants people to be free. People to, to be saved. You know, before I was a Christian, I couldn't stop cussing on my own strength. I couldn't stop lying or doing drugs or doing sex or whatever it is. Because you don't have the power to. You know, before you're a Christian, you can't control your, your temper, your anger. I mean, there's just nothing really. And, and then what ends up happening is God comes in and God breaks those chains. And God gives you the freedom now to obey. And that's his heart. That's God's heart. You know, we read over, if you go to chapter 2, look at verse 3. Well, he talks about praying for people in authority. And he says in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, 
If you're here today and you don't know for sure whether or not you're going to go to heaven when you die, God wants you to be sure. And he made a way through his son. He wants you to be saved because he loves you. He loves you. He wants all men to be saved. You just got to come to Jesus. You know, you don't have to live any longer in bondage to the addictions and afflictions of sin. You don't have to live any longer in bondage to the fear of death because in Christ, death is just a departure to our home one day in heaven. And like Eric was saying, it's not because we're good people. It's not because we have it all together because no Christian does, especially me. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is and what we've done and that we've embraced Christ as our Savior. You see, Paul here was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says there in verse 1, whom he identifies as our hope. You know, and, and you know, when you read that in the Bible, be careful that you don't see it as, well, I hope so. It's not like that in the Bible, I hope so. No, for a Christian, a hope is a certain certainty about the future. And, and our future is good. Why? Because God is good. You know, we as Christians, so cool, we have the hope of heaven, uh, the certain certainty of heaven, and the hope of just good in our future, even all the days of our lives on earth. And does that mean that we don't go through the heartaches and the trials? No, we do. But we know that even in those, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We know that even in that, like Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You know, the other day, my wife, she made a, a, an all honesty, it was a really good chocolate cake. It was really good. So much so that she ate it for breakfast the next day. <laughs> I don't know if that's right or not. But, you know, you know, you guys like chocolate, right? You like those desserts. And so, you know, but if you isolate those ingredients, you know, it might not taste good. You know, have a spoonful of flour or whatever, oil, or, or I don't even know. I mean, maybe a, a raw egg. Do you guys ever, some people used to. Well, you isolate the ingredients, it's not good. But when you mix it all together, oh, chocolate cake, right? That's your life as a Christian. You know, I'll tell you what, we have a perfect example right here. Those tears. that fell when they were waiting on the Lord for a baby. You isolate that. It's not good. But then when God flexes his muscles and he proves how strong he is, oh, that's good. But they would have never have experienced that Victory, unless they had first experienced the heartache and the trials. And, and that's the promise we have in life. That's the hope we have as Christians. And it's, it's an awesome thing to find that this hope, because a lot of times, you know, the, the enemy just tries to discourage you about your life. And, you know, you're going through hard times. And one thing I know for sure, in a, even in a congregation this size, there's a lot of hurting people here. There's a lot of difficult situations that you're going through. I know the way the enemy is such a liar. And he lies to you. I know there's a lot of hurting people. But when you have the Lord, you have hope. You just know. You know what? Somehow, God's going to take this. And he's going to be glorified through this. And so you don't lose heart. You don't give up. That's why we have to have this hope. And that's who Jesus is, the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. You know, one person said, it's an Irish proverb, hope is the physician of every misery. Samuel Smiles said, hope is like the sun, which as we journey toward it, it casts the shadow of our burden behind us. Bottom line is, life with Christ is an endless hope, but life without Christ is a hopeless end. And that's why you have to have Jesus. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus. 
Right here we see that Paul was authorized to be an apostle by such a wonderful God, and he writes this letter to Timothy, whom he identifies in verse 2 as a true son in the faith. You know, Paul calls him a son because Paul had been used by God to lead him to faith. It was during the first missionary journey when they went to this place called Lystra, and uh, more than likely, Timothy was a young man, probably, you know, 19, 20 years old. And Paul comes for the first time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, what you find is that first Timothy's grandma got saved. And then Timothy's mom got saved. And then Timothy got saved, Right. And so sometimes that's the way it happens. It happens sometimes with grandmas, huh? Thank God for grandmas, man. I know even in my wife's uh, family, her grandma, you know, she was a, a, just an amazing woman of God. And she used to pray and people would get healed. And, and she'd be praying for her family. And it's just so cool to see over the years the amazing work that God has done. Well, Timothy was a product of that. But when Paul went in, apparently Timothy got saved. So the next time in the book of Acts chapter 16, when Paul came through the second time, the people would talk about this young man, Timothy, and they said, you know what, this guy right here, he loves the Lord. And so what Timothy, I mean, what Paul did was took him and he said, talk to mom, he talked to grandma, is it cool if he goes with me? And then they said, yeah, you know, his father was a Greek, his mom was a believer. She said, go, and man, for the, for the rest of his life, he was a minister with Paul the Apostle. And so the Lord used him to bring him to faith. And so Paul calls him a son. You know, my son asked me yesterday, he said, So dad, does that mean that a person can have spiritual children? And I told him, yeah, in, in a roundabout sense, you know. Um, we just got done, remember, concluding our studies through the epistles of John and, and how he would call them his children. And he even says in Third John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. There's a, a roundabout sense in which that is true. Um, even in First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul said, Though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And so, you know, Paul had Timothy as a son because he was saved through the ministry of Paul. But there's more to it, huh? I think there's more to it. You know, for you to call someone, you know, your, your true son, there's more to it, right? And I, and I think that... You know, in reading through the different books, a lot of guys agree with that. There are those who also believe Paul called Timothy a true son in the faith because of the fact that he had been faithful to Paul. He had been faithful to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had been faithful to the ministry of God's apostle all these years. He had passed the true test of time. And time revealed that he was a true son in the faith. You know, we believe that he was second only to Luke in the amount of time he spent with Paul. And so, you know, think about it. He joined him in his early 20s. And man, for decades, he's there serving at his side. You know, Timothy enters the ministry and he becomes, in a spiritual sense, like a son to Paul. Saved, called into ministry, and another thing probably to take into consideration, remember that Timothy's father wasn't a believer. He was a Greek. Now sometimes, you know, Christian men, they have good relationships with their fathers who are non-believers. And so I definitely don't want to take away from that. But sometimes they don't. And then God raises up like a spiritual father. Which, by the way, as a side note, is, is a really important place for us to consider to serve the Lord. You know, there might be a, a little boy over here or a young man over here, and you're a mature man. Do you realize what a difference you can make in their life? Maybe you won't be their, their father. Maybe you'll be, just be a Theo, uh, you know, Uncle Manny. You know, well, that's fine. 
But what a difference we make. And I think that relationship that Paul had with Timothy, beautiful relationship, like-minded, amazing. It's so cool when you find young guys that are teachable. That are teachable. Sometimes you find guys and they're not. They kind of know everything already. And, you know, it's okay. You can still serve and you alongside each other. But the reality of it is they're not really all that teachable. But then sometimes you get somebody that's just so cool. They're just, man, they're brand new Christians. They don't know anything, but they're, they're really saved and they're excited. And then they just ask questions and they learn. And they become kind of like a Timothy with Paul. I'll be honest with you guys. I kind of don't know who I am. I, I, sometimes I think uh, I'm a Timothy. Because don't you guys think I'm young? I mean, <laughs> I tell you what, I feel young. I feel young. Because what I mean by that is I just feel like I don't know enough. I feel so honestly, believe you me, I don't feel like I have it figured out. I have more questions. I feel like a Timothy sometimes. Thank God for the, the guys that I do have in my life that I can call and ask questions to. But then other times I also feel like a Paul because I look in the mirror. <laughs> Manny, you're getting old. And so I'm kind of in between. You can call me Polymathy, I guess you could say. <laughs> But that, you know, that's who these guys were. Great relationship. And notice the greeting there. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful trilogy, huh? We know it's the, the kind of the, you know, the, the usual greeting, typical, but yet at the same time wonderful. Grace, grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor with God that we find in Christ. How we deserve hell, but God will give you heaven. That's grace, you know? And then the word mercy is the kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Join with the desire to help them. God wants to help you if you let him. The grace, the mercy, and then the peace. We know peace in a big sense. And if you hear it grow up in the, in the 60s and the peace sign, just out of curiosity, you know, and we know there's that, that state of national tranquility, but then there's also that state of personal tranquility. When you have that security and that safety in Christianity, and God gives you that peace, no more war with him, no more war within. No more war in the sense that you don't have to wonder. You are God's child when you become a Christian. That's a good place to be. You know, each one of these three are epic thoughts. We could easily do an entire study on all those words individually. But let me simply say this, that in Christ there's no need to worry or fret for instead of hell or going to heaven, that in Christ, instead of getting what we deserve, we're getting the good things that he's reserved for us as his redeemed children. Just make sure that you get a good grip on the grace and you just abide and rest in Jesus. Just keep doing that. Because grace is a wonderful place to live. I don't, I was at Elvis Presley. He's got Graceland. Ah, he doesn't have Graceland. We have Graceland as Christians. God sees us as free and forgiven. You know, I read an account of an elderly couple, and they were home one night, and, and the wife said to her husband, take off your glasses. And so he took them off, and then she looked at him, and, and she said to him, you know what? Without your glasses on, you look just like the young man I married long ago, to which the husband replied, Honey, without my glasses on, you look pretty good too. <laughs> and you know what that is, to be honest with you? Grace. When God looks at us, you want to know what he sees? With glasses of grace, he sees the righteousness of his son. 
He sees your dimples, not your pimples, right? <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. Now, Paul, in writing to Timothy, he just says, Ah, oh, you know, grace, mercy, peace to you. We begin with the greeting, but then we get the guarding. Look what we read in verse 3. As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, I remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And so, first thing he says, and there's an urging, there's a begging, there's a beseeching. You know, I left you in Ephesus, stay there. Some say maybe he was tempted to leave. He just says, stay there. I'm over in Macedonia, and this is my command to you. I want you to command them, be careful, that no one teaches anything different, no different doctrine, and at the same time, tell them don't, to be, don't be listening to you know, these endless genealogies and fables, because all that does is it creates arguments. It doesn't build up the body of Christ. And so right off the bat, he tells him that the job of pastors, and more than likely Timothy was overseeing multiple pastors and teachers, is to make sure that they teach no other doctrine. The Greek word uh, simply means different. Nothing different. This is what we believe as Calvary Chapel. This is what we believe uh, you know, as a church. And so sometimes people get the platform and they'll teach something different. That's not right. Most of the time they creep in amongst the church and they'll teach something different. And so Paul says to Timothy, command them, don't teach different doctrine in this church. That's what he's saying, because he wanted to maintain and guard the purity of the gospel. You know, later he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. No, we don't teach different doctrines. We don't teach a different gospel. There's only one gospel, right? Later he wrote to the Corinthians about how they were teaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 4. And so Paul says to Timothy, command them not to be teaching a different doctrine and not to be heeding fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. You know, what we do here at Calvary Chapel, and, and you know, the bottom line is, is um, I don't know if it's your first time here or not, we just teach the Bible. This is God's word to us from Genesis to Revelation. We don't just pick, oh, you know what, I'll, 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 te I'll teach that and maybe that. No, we teach the whole Bible. That's what we should be teaching. And we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in endless genealogies and fables and things like that. In the church today, you know, a lot of people are not really teaching the Bible. They're not. You know, they read between the lines. And they give sermons that are sensationalistic and they read into the text rather than in the text speak for itself. They communicate computer codes, or if you read the Bible backwards or upside down or inside out, man, there's like a hidden message there, you know? And a lot of times you'll go to churches, and they're, they're really excited because their pastor's telling them something new. But it's not something true. It's political, but it's not biblical. A lot of times. And what Pastor Chuck said to us pastors is, just teach the Bible. Simply teach the Bible simply. Don't get caught up in endless genealogies and fables and all these things that are speculations. You know, oh, let me speculate with you. And they'll tell you, you know, well, maybe this or maybe that. A lot of speculations. But speculations only create more questions. The truth provides the answers. And when you get the truth of life and you get the answers of life from the Bible, the word of life, you know what happens? You are built up as a Christian and you're strong and you're rooted and you're grounded and you're going to serve the Lord with passion and vigor and one day when you die you'll have no regrets because you were taught the Bible some guys they read the text oh yeah he read the text but they don't teach it and they go out to never never land you know many teachers believe that there are actually two ancient documents that Paul 
is kind of referring to one is the book of Jubilee, the other is the Antiquities of Philo. John Stott said this, both of those books stress the indestructibility of Israel and the law, and they both embellish their story with fanciful additions. And so the book of Jubilee supplies us with the names of all the children of Adam and Eve, of Enoch's family, Noah's predecessors and descendants, and the 70 people who went down to Egypt. And so, you guys, just be honest with me for a second. If there was a book that provided, and it says that it has all the descendants of Adam and Eve, all the family of Enoch, the, you know, the 70 that came from, you know, the promised land, and I mean, from, you know, into Egypt, would you be interested in that book? Would you be fascinated? Would you be mesmerized by that book? Oh, I'm going to study that book. I'm going to share that book. You know, I know, I know a lot of people that would because they love speculation. But Paul tells Timothy, no. Command them not to be teaching different doctrine. Command them not to heed speculation for it doesn't provide the edification. You know, Paul had told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, years earlier, in verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Just, I just give you the Bible. You don't want my wisdom. Because, you know, one of the things about me that I learned very young in life is I lack wisdom. And I even learned that I'm dumber than most people. I've even learned that I don't have any common sense. And you're like, Manny, then what are you doing? You know, I thank God for his word. I can't rely on what I think or what I believe or what they say. I commend you, Paul said, to the word of God and to his grace, which is able to build you up and provide for you an inheritance among the saints. I think Paul wants the pulpits to be pure, a lot purer than they are now. See, we have to guard against this indoctrination, and we have to guard the motivation. Look at verse 5. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Now, more than likely, the commandment he's referring to is the charge in verse 3. The Greek words are the same, paragalio, paragalia. And it's important to know that love is not just comforting, it's also correcting. And the more I read the Bible, I realize that love for God is very practical, but it's also very doctrinal. And so, you know, you hear somebody say, man, you know what, they, they shouldn't be, you know, teaching that, and we want to purify the pulpits. And, and so someone might say, man, that guy's a divisive guy. And, and then Paul says, no, the motive is love. I love God. I love the people of God. God loves me. God loves them. You know, the whole purpose and motive behind this whole thing is, is love. And what we find is that motive Paul shares is something, you know, that, oh, some might perceive Manny's a shoving leader, but no, Manny's a loving leader. That's my prayer. And that we would know for the leaders that that's our responsibility to love God, to love the people of God. I always have to check my heart. Manny, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because you get a paycheck? Is it because you've always been doing it? Is it because you enjoy doing it? Why? And if our motive is anything other than love, we're off. Wherever it is that God has you, do you love God? Is that why you're there? Do you love the people? Is that why you're there? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God loves them? The motivation always has to be love. The mark of God is love. The Bible says God is love. That's his identification point. And when I think about that, I, I think, Lord, I want that to be my 
identification point too. It's a challenge, but it has to be our heart. Obviously, some people had turned aside from this. Look at verse 6, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. And so, man, this love is from a pure heart, a good conscience. It's a real, sincere faith. But unfortunately, there are many that just, they, they turned aside. They're no longer walking right. And so, they're no longer talking right. And so Paul says, man, we got to guard the indoctrination. we got to guard the motivation. And then the last thing is we have to guard the interpretation. Because look at verse 7. It says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Here's the thing. In the church, Paul is saying, Man, what are they teaching? Are they teaching different doctrine? Okay, let's don't let them do that, Timothy. Are, are they motivated? Are you motivated by love? Cool, that's where we need to be. This is why I'm asking you this whole thing. And then he says, because the problem is, there's a lot of people that they, they want to be teachers. But the problem is, is they don't really understand the Bible. They don't understand the laws of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. He says they understand neither what they say nor what they affirm. It's easy to say something. You know, when you get behind a pulpit, and I pray we would know that we are so accountable. And I say something, just off the top of my head, I'm shooting from the hip. Do you know what you just did to those people? You don't understand what you're saying. They don't. Sometimes they don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what they're affirming. And that's why we have to be so careful as teachers. You know, the law is good if we use it lawfully. But if you take this Bible and you take this law and you use it unlawfully, woe to you. Because James says, brethren, verse 1, chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you're going to receive a, a stricter judgment. And so he says, man, you've got to tame the tongue. You can't just say whatever you think. You've got to make sure it comes from the Bible. See, in looking at this, a lot of people want to be teachers, but in all reality, they're not ready because they don't really truly understand. What we find right here, and, and Paul goes on to explain that the primary purpose of the law, the primary purpose is to reveal one's sin and one's incapacity to keep it so that they would then be convicted and that they would run to Jesus. Do you guys know that? That's the law. And we're going to see in looking at our text today that he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments' primary purpose is for people to get saved. You know, Galatians 3, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You know, and that's very important to know the primary purpose. Now, does that mean that you know, we no longer have to abide by the Ten Commandments. No, you know, nine of them are repeated. The Sabbath day is kind of a more of a personal thing now. But just as long as we don't come to the place of teaching people that this is how you're saved. Just as long as we don't come to the place of teaching people this is how you stay saved. Just as long as we don't come to the place of start, where we start teaching people that if you don't do this, then you're just a second-class, low-life you know, Christian, and, and, and shame on you, you bad people. 
Now go stand in the corner for an hour, you know. <laughs> Just as long as we don't teach the people a works-oriented relationship with God. Because then you're using, you're using the law unlawfully. And God, you know, he's an oldest accountable. And just as long as we don't, you know, use the law unlawfully. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of rules and regulations over there. And some people will take the civil law of Israel or the ceremonial law of Israel because they don't understand. And they'll quote from it. You can't quote from it to support your point. Quote from the New Testament. Quote from the New Covenant. You know, you can't. Unless, you know, you've got to maintain the whole law. Okay, so you can't have bacon anymore. And you know what they say, a day without bacon is a day without sunshine, right? <laughs> you can't have donuts anymore, you know, or whatever it is. And, and whatever it is, and, and they'll take the Old Testament passages and they'll try to impose it upon you today. And another way I think that we use the law unlawfully is we'll take our personal convictions. And we heap our personal convictions on the people. You can't do that. You can't. You know, we just have to be careful with the Word of God. You know, something that I heard uh, Adrian Rogers say um, in this last week, really, really cool study, and, and Pastor Chuck, and Pastor Raw, and even John Corson, it was kind of weird how it all kind of came up, you know, where we tell, we read the, the passage in the Old Testament, be fruitful and multiply. And, and what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that unless you have 18 kids, you're not a right-on Christian? You know, Adrian Rogers said, the command is to be fruitful and multiply, but you don't have to do it all by yourself. I mean, you know, we have hope, help, right? We got to be so careful. Because we heap, and, and you be careful, because, you know, you have this teaching, but then you see all these right-on people, they may not agree with your view, maybe you might need to take a step back and say, Lord, I, well, what exactly does this mean? Because then the lit, this is where, where my heart goes out to the poor lady out there who doesn't have, you know, 18 kids, and she has this heavy burden because somebody just, just slammed her for that. See, that's where we take the law and we use it unlawfully. We've got to teach both sides. Children are a blessing. Blessed is the man who has his table surrounded with them, right? I mean, praise God for that. I wish I would have had, you know, like 12 kids. I think that would be cool. But that's just my personal conviction. God said, too, because you can't handle it, right? That's what the Lord told me. I don't know. He took some home, and he was in his hands and, and everything. But all I'm saying is that we've got to be really careful that we, we think about what we're saying. What are we doing to the people? And is it purely, explicitly stated in the Bible that, you know, you got to have 20 kids, 18 kids? Of course, we got to have that balance. See, what ends up happening is we take the law and we'll use it unlawfully. And that's what, 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 what Paul is saying. He says right there, and he gives the Ten Commandments. He gives some general things for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane. Those are all like kind of general descriptions, right? But then he goes on to talk about murders of fathers and murders of mothers. That's the fifth commandment violated. For manslayers, that's the sixth commandment. Actually, both of them are. For fornicators, for sodomites, now the word for sodomites means two men in the same bed, so that's speaking of homosexuals, right? That's a violation of the seventh commandment. For kidnappers, it's a violation of the eighth commandment. Liars and perjurers, a violation of the ninth commandment. And, and he goes on if there's any other thing. See, the ten commandments, we can take it and we can make 612 commandments out of it if we want. But we got to know what the primary purpose. Primarily, it's to bring people to Christ. It was made for those who, what we find, need to give their life to Christ. And so these individuals who are identified with these sins are not saved. 
because they have that identity. You are a kidnapper. You are a fornicator. You are a murderer. That's their identification. And so will we find the primary purpose? Again, it has a secondary purpose, but we need to be careful. And again, when we look at this, what we find is that we need to be true teachers who understand the full counsel of God, the revelation, interpretation, and application, which brings us to our last point. First the greeting, then the guarding, then the gospel. In verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Do we realize how glorious the gospel is? I speak to myself here. You know, I think that this letter is going to change me. I hope in a good way. Um, because, man, there might be times where messages were kind of mixed. Like, well, what is the gospel, Manny? It's when you, when you put your faith in Jesus. You know, thank God that oftentimes our behavior lines up and sometimes faster than others. But don't strip the gospel of its glory. How God will take wretched sinners and he washes them in his blood and he does an awesome work. We know that when the gospel comes into someone's life, Sometimes you're wondering, Lord, are they saved? And time will tell, right? But it's committed to our trust. We've got to make sure that we don't add anything to the gospel, like the Galatians did. Oh, if there's anything that was good, man, it'd be circumcision. They added circumcision to it. And Paul said, by adding that, you've perverted it. Just tell the people that I love them. Tell the people that their sins have separated them from me. And so tell the people, I sent my son to die for them. For all their sins, past, present, future. I'm going to blame on him. And the punishment that they deserved, he will suffer for them. And then just tell the people, Repent of your sins. Let it go. And just believe in Jesus, who was put in a grave and he rose again the third day. Just share the gospel with them and let that glorious gospel begin to transform lives. We've got to guard this. We've got to guard this gospel, you guys. As pastors, as leaders, we have to guard what goes on in the church. We have a responsibility to God. And Paul is going to share that as we go through this letter. In closing, I read a story. It's a true story. This guy, Fritz Chrysler, it took place in 1875. I guess he had this incident. The world-famous uh, violinist earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions. But he generously gave most of it away. And so when he discovered an exquisite violin in one of his trips, he wasn't able to buy it. Later, he raised enough money to meet the asking price and he returned to the seller, hoping to buy the beautiful instrument. But to his great dismay, it had already been sold to a collector. You know, this collector didn't know how to play the violin, but he collected violins. And so Kressler made his way to the new owner's home. He offered to buy it. The collector said it had become part of his prized possessions and he wasn't about to part with it. And so as he's about to leave, Kressler, this wonderful violinist, he said, well, can I just play it once before I go? And so the owner, who didn't know how to play it, he's just a collector, he says, oh, okay, I go ahead and play it. And he consigned to him. Permission was granted, and then the great virtuoso, he filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were then deeply stirred. And he said to him, I have no right to keep that violin to myself. He then proclaimed, it's yours, Mr. Kressler. Take it into the world. 
and let the people hear it. See, and that's what we have in the gospel. Man, we have no right to take this to ourselves and keep it to ourselves. This glorious gospel, man, my prayer is that we would take it out and watch what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us another day. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church uh, to be pleasing to you. And I ask that your word, Lord, would find a way into every single heart here, building up your people, Lord, building them up, blessing them, encouraging them in this wonderful relationship that they have with you. If there's anyone here who maybe they've been struggling and they haven't been right, Lord, I pray this message would be used by you just to bring them back to where they belong. And I pray especially, Lord, for anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, but I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you want to receive Christ, you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You want just Jesus, not a religion. You want Jesus. And all you have to do is just be willing today to let go of your sins. Just be willing, let go, and trust in Jesus. And just pray this prayer right where you're at. You just pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sins and I trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your love and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.